The Diecast Movie Podcast proudly presents James Whale Retrospective Series, where we will be discussing the life, work, and legacy of director James Whale, with guest appearances from filmmakers, film historians, and other podcasters. We would like to give a special thank you to Reber Clark for the intro music. Please enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. This is the final episode of the James Earl Retrospective. It's the second of our two bonus episodes, the earlier one being with Troy when we did The Road Back. And now we're going to be doing Wives Under Suspicion with Rod Barnett from The Bloody Pit. How are you doing today, Rod? I am doing pretty well. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How's how's it in the bloody pit? Is it is it is it full of blood or is it low in blood or is it a normal normal amount? You know, the blood ebbs and flows. Uh, it really all kind of depends on uh, the what, whatever good slash bad choices were made that particular weeks or months. Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of low right now. We're we're going to be moving from a fairly bloodless Lucio Fulci film into a 1943 adaptation of the Phantom of the Opera. So you know, it's it's uh, eh, it's not a lot of blood, but you know, there's some thrills. Oh, it is thrills, and 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 listeners, like I've told people before, you got to listen to the Bloody Pit because Rod and Troy and whoever else Rod brings in with them know their stuff and um, and, and really go into some good breakdown in the movies. You might not always agree with what movies that they like or don't like, but they, they give you a good idea what the movie is about its pros and its cons. And that way you can make a pretty good assessment. If it's something that's going to go up, your, you know, in your wheelhouse to watch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If we, if we're talking about a movie, you can, you can bet that uh, at least most of us actually enjoy it. But at the same time, we're going to be straightforward about the reasons other people might not enjoy it. So, and as I said all the times, if you do go to listen to the Bloody Pit, remember Rob is known to use some colorful metaphors. So be careful. He's 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 on he's oh, yes, controlling yes. himself right now. <laughs> I, uh, I I can uh, I do I do usually play blue, but I can clean it up for the kitties. And and that he does, and thankfully you do that. But I mean, like I always told Rod, if he had to go that way, we can always throw the explicit label on. But he's 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 good. He can handle it. I can I can be a good little boy most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Rod, this is your third time in the James Earl retrospective. We've done Showboat, we've mm-hmm. done The Kiss Before the Mirror, and now we're doing Wives Under Suspicion. And I know we've gotten some feedback from different listeners, one particular D, who really likes it when you and I are talking together. Oh, that's good. That's, and that's great. I mean, I, I, I do know that people enjoy uh, these, these kind of in-depth across the board looks at certain, at certain filmmakers. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm glad that uh, I have to say that the, the movie we're covering today, is kind of, uh, kind of incumbent upon us to cover this considering how rare and odd this, uh, this movie is. I'm glad people are enjoying it. Yeah. And if, and, and for listeners wondering, the reason I wanted to make sure Rod and I did this one together is because this is a remake of the kiss before the mirror. And since Rod and I both did that one, we can not only talk about this mirror, but we can also, uh, not this mirror, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very similar. <laughs> True. Uh, we can talk about this movie. We can also compare 
the differences and which one we think is, to our opinions, you know, is is are both equally good or one better than the other? I mean, and and that kind of stuff as we go through our discussion of this this James Whale movie. Yes, I think this is going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to look at because uh, I think I have to admit, I mean, it's only in the past ooh, six months that I've watched either of these movies, and the fact that. Uh, well, let's be upfront. One of the things that makes this an incredibly rare thing is that it is one of those really rare things in filmmaking where a director remakes his own work. It doesn't happen very often. It's uh, it's it's pretty darn rare, and it becomes very interesting to see the differences between the two versions. And for listeners that want to watch this, it's available. It's public domain. It's available virtually everywhere on YouTube, mm-hmm. Amazon prime. It's 69 minutes, you know? So if, if you, if you want to watch it and then come back to listen to the rest of us, uh, what we talk about, we might spoil some things, you know, feel free, you know, and then come right back and mm-hmm. you can hear us break it down. But we probably will spoil some things as we go along, especially when we compare the two. I think it's inevitable that there'll be some spoiling of this movie and possibly to kiss before the mirror. I think that that is without a doubt a big bad yes. We are going to uh, end up spoiling this because I think that that's where the more the more interesting aspects of comparing the two different versions come into play. Agreed. And uh, Rod, if you want to give them an idea, um, what is this movie about? If you want to give a little brief little synopsis. Oh, okay. Well, um, hmm, how best to put this? Okay. Without reference to the previous version of this, I will try to give a decent idea of what this one is about. It goes like this. <clears throat> he says, clearing his throat. Um, our main character is um, a, he's a prosecutor in the, in the big city, um, played by uh, one of my favorite, actually one of my favorite 1930s actors. We'll talk about, we'll, we'll talk about Warren William uh, a little bit in a while, but um the um, he is a prosecutor, a, a, a district attorney in this city, and he is rather ruthless in his approach to his job. Uh, one might almost say bloodthirsty, considering he really he seems to get a visceral thrill out of convicting and electrocuting uh, murderers. <clears throat> now, don't get me wrong; I get it, I understand, but. The the over the, the moment the, in the film that tells you that it's little uh, a little over the top for this guy is when you realize that uh, we're, we're shown that he has a, a an old style abacus in which the beads the counting beads are skulls and this is how he keeps track of the number of murderers he has sent to the chair um, that's that strikes me as unhealthy but nevertheless he uh, he's he seems to be a really nice guy outside of the fact that, you know, once he's, he's like a dog with a bone, once he's got a murder, murder trial in front of him. Uh, but his really, really laser focused on his job to the point where he seems to have neglected his wife and his family life almost incredible, just almost, almost complete. Now he has a very forgiving wife. Uh, character's name is Lucy played by uh, another really good actress from this period named Gail Patrick. Um, but the uh, good patient understanding wife, uh, she keeps her frustration, you know, bottled up. She's not, uh, she's not uh, dragging her husband uh, away from his job or, or 
pitching a fit about the fact that, that what he's doing is taking away from her because she does seem to realize that this is an important job. And so she keeps, uh, she keeps her, uh, she keeps her own counsel about how neglected she feels to a large degree. Well, the husband, uh, our, our main character does at a certain point realize that he has been neglected. His wife. He needs to do something about this. So he promises her a belated honeymoon trip. And, uh, as this is a really short movie, you do know that the turnaround on this is going to be quick because it goes like this. He promises her this, this trip, we're going to go away. We're going to be gone for a month. I don't care what happens. I don't care what kind of case pops up. And then of course a case pops up that he cannot resist. It's the case of a, uh, a timid professor character named McAllen, uh, who confesses, he comes in and uh, he's brought in by the police. He confesses to killing his wife after catching her with a lover. Now this, you know, seems like a, a fairly standard thing. And our district attorney demonstrates his rather ruthless nature in he, in uh, recording. This is something that they referenced earlier in the film that he's able to get these people to, you know, he just, it's just him and the, 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 the accused in a room together. And he gets this person to end their distraught, you know, end their time of uh, the extreme, uh, shall we say, uh, emotional agony, gets them to confess and secretly records this so that he's got it as a, uh, a, a bit of evidence that he can pull out during the trial that will kind of make sure that he gains conviction no matter what. And of course, with this professor character, McAllen, he does the same thing. He coaxes a confession out of him. Not that he seems to be have to coax very, very much because this guy is obviously freaked out. He cannot believe what he's done. Well, um, it's, it's, it's rather interesting. It's, if you're aware of the earlier film, you're, 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 you know where this is kind of going to go, but this movie, while I was watching this, I thought, man, okay, this movie is take, this movie has backed up about 200 yards to take a running start at the story we know it's going to tell. This is really strange. Um, but we get, we get this poor guy's confession, and part of the poor professor's confession, the thing that drives him to feel that he needs to follow his wife where he catches her with her lover is this reaction that she has to him when he comes up behind her unknowingly and kisses her on her neck. And she has this revulsion come over her face that he can't ignore. He begins to, that, that's the, that's the crux of his belief that something is wrong and why he follows his wife and discovers that she has a lover. Well, after they've recorded this and, and they start the ball rolling to prosecute this guy for murder, um, our main character, the, the, the DA, is very dismissive of this whole story that this guy is telling. In other words, he really does believe that this professor character is not some distraught man who's kind of losing his mind over the fact that what he's done. He feels that this is a concocted story of BS, that a totally made up bit of fabrication, fiction, to use to justify his actions. In other words, he's going to try to get away with this being a crime of passion and not go to the chair. Well, the thing is, I, you know, yeah, I know we're watching a movie and everything, but man, to honestly be in a position to believe that this distraught man who's emotionally 
just losing his mind right in front of him is somehow some conniving fellow who's making this up to try to make himself um, uh, appear less guilty than he is for what he's done. You've got to really, really, you know, have an advocate with skulls on it to count the number of people that you're electrocuting to honestly feel like this is a justifiable thing to do. After the ball rolls and we, we, we start this prosecution, let's just say that things, there are things happening, 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 there are things happening in the prosecutor's uh, personal life that if he were a suspicious man would lead him to think that his wife might actually be involved with another man. There's a, there's a young man and a young woman who are close friends of the family and that uh, his wife spends a lot of time with because, of course, she doesn't, and is, or should we say, isn't able to spend a lot of time with her husband. And it's the kind of thing that he completely dismisses as a, a concern. But the movie, for the first half of it anyway, plays with the idea that this might be a concern if he were of a different mindset. And of course, as things progress, we should we should probably uh, state outright that one of the reasons it's interesting to watch Wives Under Suspicion, especially after having seen the earlier film versions, uh, is that The Kiss Before the Mirror was made pre-code. So they did not have to, uh, they did not have to kowtow to the same uh, restrictions that came in once the Hays Code was, uh, was put, into, in, in, put into effect. And so a lot of changes are made that are not cosmetic. These are, these are real changes that are made to the story structure and the way that things happen in the story to soften it a good bit. And um, uh, let's put it this way. If I had seen, and you know, this, this is completely hypothetical, but if I had seen Wives Above Suspicion, I mean, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of classic cinema. I love movies from the 30s. I, I just, I would wallow in them if given the opportunity. Uh, I would have enjoyed Wives Above Suspicion. Uh, I mean, Wives uh, Above Suspicion. I would have enjoyed Wives Under Suspicion as, a, a, as an interesting little 1938 film. Don't get me wrong. It would, it would have been interesting. But at the same time, I would have felt that it was odd that it was directed by James Whale because it has almost none of his stylistic flourishes. It has almost none of the, the things that I expect from a James Whale film because he was such a cinematic director. He's, you know, he's someone who did so many wonderful things with the camera and uh, he, he set up his shots in interesting action. This is a pretty straightforward telling of this story. Whereas, Kiss Before the Mirror, once again, made by James Whale, is a lot more interesting in how it's shot. And uh, I kept waiting. Well, okay. Like I said, if I had seen this movie first and then after the fact saw The Kiss Before the Mirror, I would have been really surprised at the changes made in the story structure. The, the characters are very different. Uh, Kiss Before the Mirror is a much more adult version of things. Uh, but also much more complicated and, and, and kind of you know, sloppy in that way that uh, you know, human relationships can very easily be. And so I'm really glad that I, I guess I'm glad that I watched them in the chronological order in which they were made because it allows me to enjoy uh, the, the pre-code movie 
but I do, I do, I will say that it does make me feel the feel the lack of a number of elements in this remake. Um, and I don't, I don't know if we want to go ahead and get into spoilers. Uh, what do you, what do you feel like? Do you want to go ahead and start talking about the differences between the two films, or uh, because we don't have to rocket straight toward the uh, the ending, which is uh, is 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 such a such a clean cut little thing in this movie or not what what do you think i think we'll hold off on spoiling it when comparing the two for a little bit we'll, we'll, we'll move into this we'll try to stick with just this story first and then we'll go into the comparison okay. but we did warn everybody um we can't help but spoil both movies in discussing this movie and then especially when we compare the two so again everybody's been forewarned i mean wives under suspicion readily available kiss before the mirror is available on blu-ray so it's mm-hmm. uh, which we recommended highly before getting yes you know so hopefully everybody that listened to the prior episode purchased their thing and watched it since then so uh, uh but yeah this this one definitely will spoil both movies but we'll try to hold off a little bit for those that just want to get a better idea what this movie is about and then we'll warn right when, when we're going to go into direct comparisons of the two that hey you, you were now in dead serious spoiler territory for now we're in slight spoiler territory but soon we will be in yeah, every you you know, Katie barred the door. Spoiler territory. <laughs> well, I mean, do you want to tell? We we can talk about uh, aspects of the film that won't be spoilers before we uh, before we yeah. rocket toward the spoilers. Oh, well, exactly. we, we can talk about the cast a bit. Um, yeah, Warren 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 William um, as the DA. Uh, I love him. He's he's a, like I said, he's one of those guys who, um, if you're at all a fan of classic cinema, um, he's. Basically, you could you could watch his movies for a solid month and just have a really good time. Um, he was the very first uh, Perry Mason on film. He played Philo Vance in one of my favorite Philo Vance movies, The Dragon Murder Case. If you if you really want to see a good Philo Vance movie, 1934 is the, the the Dragon Murder Case. Seek it out. But he made just so many films. Uh, he he was in the uh, the thir- 1934 version of Cleopatra as Julius Caesar. Uh, uh, he's uh, I, I remember him uh, standing out in the Gold Diggers in 1933, which by the way is a movie you should also seek out. Don't you know? I, I know it's a weird title, but hey, t- trust me, go the Gold Diggers of 1933. Go watch it; you will enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, joys of going through his filmography are manifold. First of all. Uh, he was, uh, I can't remember, I, I'll be honest, I tried to remember what the first movie I saw him in was, and it was probably because I am such a lunatic about the, uh, the, um, the mystery, uh, kind, of, kind of character mystery series that were turned out in the, the, the 40s. Uh, he was the lone wolf in, uh, I think, about nine movies of the lone wolf. Uh, just a, just a great character, uh, just a, a fun series of uh, you know kind of detective thriller things. Uh, so that probably was where I first saw him, which you know doesn't doesn't bode well for me. But he does he does also have a role in The Wolfman, 1941. So you know, Lone Wolf, Wolfman. What can you say? I guess they just stuck him in there because <laughs> of the title. Why not? But uh, he and James Whale must have gotten along pretty well because he, he did uh, bring him back for uh, his 1939 version of The Man in the Iron Mask. So that's good. But Warren Williams, uh, geez, 
so many so many good movies that I just want to sit on. The Ar- Ar- Arsene, Ar- Arsene Lupin Returns in 38 is a really good one. He was in Madam X in uh, 37, another film that you should check out. Um, man, so, ma- so many good movies. But like I say, he played both Perry Mason and Philo Vance before becoming the Lone Wolf. And just anytime you see him, he's, he's rock solid. He's very, he's very good no matter what role he's put in. I just, I, 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 he's one of those guys who, as soon as you see him on film, even with that little pencil thin mustache, you just trust him. And I don't know why. I, I enjoyed the way he played the DA because he had this, you said earlier in your synopsis and his wife brings it up. Like once he's on a case, he's a different man. He's just totally uh-huh. driven. Everything he does night and day is just to, to solve that, get that, get that case resolved to get that person to, um, get a guilty plea or guilty verdict. And then of course <clears throat> the chair and he has the little tally board as which yeah. is very macabre. <laughs> <laughs> it's a striking image on the screen when you see it. You're like, you're looking at this and it's like, what? <laughs> this- yeah, it's, it's a it's a dark image for a movie that isn't a horror movie. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It, it, it's definitely one of those things. I mean, you could play it up as a horror thing and almost say that it, it's possessing him to get rid of people. I mean, you know, you could change, you could really remake this movie with some aspects. Oh, yeah. Totally alter it around and, um, uh, like what, what is possessing him, but I, but I'd like it, you know, he's driven. And because of that, when you when your work is your life, you, you, um, start to sacrifice things that are in your life. And th- th- you can look at this two different ways. I find the chemistry between Warren William and Gail Patrick, their characters is some people could say there is no chemistry and, or, or you know, or very little, and I think that's because they're supposed to, he's supposed to be this person that's driven. And, mm-hmm. and because of that, he's just not paying attention. And she's starting to realize, um, or has realized as time's going on, because this, this relationship has been going on prior to the movie. And I get this movie props for developing the relationship between the two of them um, prior to the, um, the, 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 meat of the, the meat of the plot hitting it. So that we have a better understanding what their normal relationship is. Or was. Yeah. And the key thing was, is that I can look at it. The lack of chemistry between the two plays well with it because they're supposed to be a relationship that is dying. You know, it's, it, it's withering on the vine, whatever you want to look at it. And at the end, they start to yeah. show those sparks. So I think some people could say they have no chemistry, but then again, is that, in, I think that's an intentionally played by the actors. Oh, I agree, and I think that uh, it's 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 easy it's easy to see if you if you uh, if you attune your eye to what the two actors are doing, it's there in the way they 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 play together. Oh, well, first of all, let's take note that one of the neater things is watching Warren Williams is a good actor. He was stage trained actor. He knew what he was doing, and so in the scenes where he is doing his job, if you'll if you'll watch him, you'll notice that there's this this almost subtle, but once you notice it, you'll never be able to not notice it. He's always kind of leaning just a little bit forward toward the people that he's talking to, and especially toward the the, uh, the professor when he's talking to him and when he's listing that confession. There's this lean in toward the person. There's this kind of, you know, cantilever aspect the way he's sitting or standing. And then in the scenes with his wife and their friends, You'll notice that he's much more relaxed. He's not leaning toward anyone. He's standing up straight. He's holding his drink glass. 
he's 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 not leaning toward anybody. It's a difference in body language that communicates an intensity uh, versus uh, uh, a a much more comfortable portion of his life. And of course, the the one of the things that you can read very easily there is that that comfort in his life toward the uh, the per, you know in, in the in the personal aspect of his life needs a little bit of that intensity. That's the thing we learn by the, by halfway through the film is if he had a little bit of that intensity in his personal life, then his life would not feel as neglected. And that's that's just good acting. And and the uh the uh way they play off of each other, the scene where he uh tell where he tells his wife, Hey look, look, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a month off, we're traveling and he says it, he does it by looking right at her and telling the person uh, telling someone on the phone that this is what he's going to do, and you can watch the way her body language changes, and the the, the not just the, the change that comes over her face, but at that point, the two of them are start to kind of lean toward each other. And like I say, I don't know that it's necessarily something the two actors worked out together, or if it was James Whale's idea to kind of uh, to block the the shot that way. But this is the this is the two of them drawing together in a in, in a way, and then. Later on, when he has been pulled back, you know, he's been pulled back into doing his job instead of doing what he promised he was going to do. They're once again standing, standing away from each other. They're not, they're, 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 uh, they're not leaning toward each other anymore. And uh, like I say, they're subtle little things, but they communicate visually a lot of the stuff that uh, a movie this brief kind of has to get across quickly. Oh yeah, and um, I, I think, like I said, I think they both portrayed that relationship well because that relationship is the key to the movie. If it doesn't work, uh, the the whole movie is just is 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 just going to fall apart because that, I mean you have to buy everything that they're both doing. Otherwise, it's it's it's, it's it, you have no you have you don't care about either one of them. you don't care about either one of these two, and then it's it's all over. Yeah, yeah. This this is the this is the crux of the film, and. Like, like, like I say, I don't want to, we won't get into a spoiler here really quick, but I will just say that the, the change made between the two different films to shift the, the main character from being a defense attorney to being a prosecutor tells us a certain tale as well. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, um, and Gail Patrick, I thought that an excellent job. She had been a performer and, and for multiple, multiple films. And then I find mm-hmm. interesting because you brought up Perry Mason. Of course, she became the executive producer of the Perry Mason TV series. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's one of those things where I was aware that there was a, that a woman was one of the main drivers behind that TV series for its entire run. But I had no idea it was her. <laughs> I didn't know. In other words, I had not put together, oh, I've seen this woman in movies. You know, that, that was amazing. Oh, exactly. And she was also, um, like the, I think the first female president for the Academy or something like that. Um, so there was so many different yep. things that she did, which she, she was breaking ground or a front runner or whatever you want to look at it, or one of the few, um, depending on what positions we're talking about, but she was not just an actor. She was able to get in the business side of the deals and, and, and the whole things and just, uh, overall was just a multi-talented person. Obviously, a talented and smart cookie. I mean, she knew what she was doing, and and uh, she's not just good on screen. She's someone who realized that this is a business, and she worked the business side of it just as effectively as she, or maybe even be honest, maybe even more effectively than she worked in front of the camera. 
Oh, exactly. And not many, not many actors are able to do that transition, as you and I both know from looking at people that some of them are producers by name, and, and there's other people that really are able to understand the, the workings of everything and able mm-hmm. to do it. And, and 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 she was one of them. And um, yep. But her but her character, I just enjoy it because she has that ability where she's being helpful, she's hopeful, she's sad. I mean, she has to portray a lot of different emotions going along with virtually all of her scenes being in the house. Yes. Yes, exactly. Actually, I'm this, to... this movie a little bit, well, this version of the story, they don't, they don't pull the thing that, um, and this isn't really a spoiler. They don't pull that thing that the, that the kiss before the mirror pulls, which is uh, the final scene when the, uh, the female lead takes place in the courtroom where she's witnessing something. And uh, I think that that's interesting. And it, it keeps the it keeps her entire character as uh, you know just a domestic character, and I think that part of that, that that's part of where you see the the Hayes Code coming into play, where you know they 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 not not that there was some kind of rule against you know kind of crossing the streams, but at the same time it just makes it easier if we keep the job and the domestic life separate. Well, and interesting, not just that was it done that way because of the Hayes Code, but they 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 played that totally with. The DA's character, you know, um, where he's like, "Oh yeah. dear, you, you shouldn't be reading the headlines. That's those aren't those aren't those aren't for your beautiful eyes." I mean, it was just, yeah. it, it, it was, I know it, it's a product of its time, you know, it's it so to speak. But I know, you know. <laughs> oh well, I mean, the most embarrassing product of its time. Oh, moment, I know where you're going. <laughs> uh, you know exactly where I'm going. I was watching this with I was watching this with Beth the first time. Either one of us had seen this movie. And when the uh, the uh, black maid character, the the uh, district attorney and his wife's maid character, is yeah, Criola, uh, played by Lillian Yarbo. Yeah, yeah, a, a very talented actress. But uh, let's just see the character she's being asked. But I just turned to Beth and I said, "So is she supposed to be the female version of, of Willie Best, step and fetch it character? Is that what we're looking at here?" <laughs> she's kind of nodding her head, going, "I think so." And then we get that that one line where you're just going, Oh, it's the thirties. Oh my goodness. Which is, uh, I, I, I need to actually quote it properly so that I'm not, I'm not, uh, damning this film in a way that, uh, it should not be attacked, but essentially she just, uh, Oh darn it. I can't remember. I, I thought I wrote it down. Uh, she essentially, um, <laughs> says that, uh, Oh darn, what is the line? Oh, that, that, that bothers me that I can't, uh, Darn it, darn it, darn it. Are you talking about, but the, essentially pan- the, pan- just, are you talking about the pancake line? Oh, darn, darn, darn. Oh, here it is. Um, uh, she says, uh, she, uh, the, the, the wife character turns to her husband and says, she certainly can cook. That's more than what most of them can do. And oh. it's just like, oh, my goodness. Holy crap. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, huh? you know, you, the thing is, people, you have to give. Movies of a certain a certain vintage, you have to give them. Uh, there's going to be some. Uh, there's going to be some things that that kind of curl your hair, <laughs> kind of make you go, "Whoa, that's that's." What, I mean, that's just straight up 1930s racial stereotype, and that's you're going to run across it. You're going to see it. Not everything is going to be uh, as uh, easy to take as, uh, say, Manton Moreland in the uh, in the Charlie Chan movies, where 
the character is the the comedy relief, but he's not treated as some kind of idiot, and he's not insulted. Uh, In this film, yeah, we got one black character, and she's going to be insulted. (laughs) She's going to be tarred, to to use a phrase that I am using advisedly, she's going to be tarred with a really racist brush. Now, the actress, um, Lillian Yarbo, uh, was also a great singer. You know, yeah. And so she was, she was on performers on the rise. She could sing, she could act, she could do it all. And also she was very frugal with managing her money, um, which helped her later in life because in 1944, she was in a car accident. And after that, her film career within the next few years, pretty much just petered out. And, um, she did a little bit of a comeback on, um, the circuit in back in singing and stuff like that. And then from 1949 on, you, you really heard nothing about her, and she lived to be 96. So she lived, I think, to what, 2006, 2009. She lived for a long time after her career. 1996 is when she passed. 1996, there we go. So she lived for yeah, a long yeah. time, and she was very good because she managed her money so well. She was one of those rare performers, whether, whether it's an actor or a sports person or whatever, who had the wherewithal to realize, bank it, bank it bank it, you know, and, um, and, and and that kind of stuff and, and be, and be ready for when you get to those times where you need the money or whatever for the golden years. And so her golden years, she was able to take care of herself from all the earnings that she did prior. So she was obviously, I think very good with money, very talented, very everything. And it's just a sad thing is at that time she was in like 50 different movies, mostly uncredited, almost always in roles similar to this. And it's uh, yeah, not very small roles, even when she was credited. Yeah, yeah. And if, if, if you wonder if, if she would have came to a rise nowadays, what her career would have been like, it would it would probably blow our minds. Well, the thing is, she is she is one of those. You know, she would her career would be easy to slip through the cracks and just kind of ignore, except for the fact that. Um, she was she was noticed in you know she she had some some kind of little minor star turns in some major films. I mean, she was, she was point, she was uh, very acclaimed in Frank Capra's, you can't take it with you for her role in that. But like you say, if, once she's stopped doing those small little, almost in, at a certain point, insulting roles in uh, motion pictures, you know, her, most of her work is not stuff that we're ever going to be able to see because it was on the, you know, it was on the stage. It was outside of the, the recording media, as we should say. And that that is a shame, but thank goodness we do have the things from her that that we can see. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a she's she's good in this. She's you know she kind of is comic relief to a degree. But it, it is it is a shame that one line. If they not had that one line in the film, it could have been it could have been one of those things where you're like, oh, well, I mean, it's not a great role, but it's not one that you feel denigrates her. So. Oh, I understand totally what you're, you're, you're going with. And this, this film and the Frank Capra film were, I think they came out the same year. Um, were two of the films that got her a lot more notice and she yeah. was getting noticed in the press and everything else. And so she was on the, I mean, she was right there on the, uh, you know, able to, if almost able to make that transition, you know, where she could have hopefully did it. And it's hard to say, I mean, you know, a, a few years later, she's in the car accident and, and, you know, fate took her to a different path, but I, it's, yeah. 
but it's just, I've, like, I really wonder, like, if she would have came to rise in the 2000s, I mean, it just it just makes you wonder of a, a person of her ability and talent and, and wherefore, where, what she would be doing now would probably blow our minds. Well, that's the thing. I mean, with a, with a, with a person who apparently had as much talent and ability as she did, I mean, she's relegated primarily to being, you know, to playing uncredited maid roles for the majority of her, you know, 20 some odd years in cinema. And that is kind of a shame. Oh, exactly. And speaking, speaking of, um, people that were like in the, the, the comedic relief, cause there's really, there's really not much comedy in this. There's her role. And then there's Sharpie, um, you know, to, who's like the, the, the personal assistant to the DA. And yeah. she, Ms. Cunningham was just wonderful. I mean, cause she, she, and she made a career of playing those small parts where you come off as they know everything and they, and they have a certain, you know, like this is what you're supposed to do and do that. Cause he had forgotten it. it was his wife's birthday. He'd forgotten all this stuff. And, and she was the driving force, like get out, do this. And well, that's the thing. Uh, she, th- there's a, uh, b- before we, before we go too far, I would say that um, the same character in the previous film, Kiss Before the Mirror, was allowed to be uh, a little, shall we say, a little bit more complicated and, uh, uh, shall we say, possibly shaded toward, uh, shaded toward uh, being uh, a gay character, but not, not this character. But it's the same, this character has the same position within the story and honestly is also pretty sharp character within the within the way things are written this is one of the few characters in the movie i think that got transitioned from one store to the other with only some you know fairly minor fairly minor changes that don't really affect the story uh, i think that uh, i prefer the way the character you know in this story position was was used in uh, kiss before the mirror just because i love the fact that you know it's, it's a bit more adult it's a bit more uh uh willing to uh point to uh the gray you know the gray areas between the black and white uh aspects of life aspects of the plot because that character in the kiss for the mirror is in a way almost kind of a voice of conscience in a way and in this movie she's not really that uh the the character that uh that uh uh uh, edna or or, what was her real first name cecil cunningham uh or Cecile, I guess I should say. The the character she's playing, she doesn't really I mean, she she's like the the good girl Friday who's making sure that uh her boss doesn't forget his wife's birthday and things of that nature. Uh but she's not like she's not taking a razor bl- a verbal razor blade to him to make you know, to to kind of make her point. You know, she's she's being um shall we say safe in the way that uh she presents the information she gives to her boss. And I think that that is, once again, another indicator of pre-code versus under the code. And uh, it's, uh, she, she's really good as an, as an actress. I have to say, I was not, I, I was not familiar with her. Well, you, I, 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 I looked through her long, long list of credits. And I honestly, I, I, I could not remember uh, having seen her in very much at all. And that's, Another little one of those one one of those odd little blind spots. I can't uh, I can't be honest and say that I've seen much of her work. 
I, she's one of those ones where I was looking at her list of credits and, and listeners, you can look it up. It's a long list. There's a lot of movies mm-hmm. that she was in that I have seen, but because she had smaller parts or whatever, it just didn't, you know, it, it, it you know, you see it, but you don't, you don't put the name and the face together, you know, unless, unless you were probably were to see them in short succession, you know, like right. if you see one and it's a few years later, you see another one where she's in, you're not going to put it together as you would if you saw like one and then two weeks later you saw another one you're like wait a minute that 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 person looks familiar and that that especially because she was playing a lot of cases the same type of character so i think it would stick out a little more but i i I, there were quite a few of her films that i that i'd seen but i but you're right i did not place her and when i was watching her this time i was just like oh okay and then when it's, it's only in hindsight when i looked back that i started to realize oh i have seen those films i just didn't remember her and i'm not saying that her performance was poor in those i mean a lot of this, a lot of these other films it was small roles or uncredited roles um yes so it's a lot just, of a lot of uncredited roles for her too yeah yes so it's, it's kind of hard when you don't have a lot of screen time it's kind of you know you really got to make that that um impact and and then when you're talking about years decades later sometimes you're not going to remember always the bit the the, place, the the people play the bit parts, but I mean the, the bit part characters. That's not their point. Their point, and I think even with the lead characters, is to move the story along and have you remember the story and 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 have those impressions and have those memories. Well, the thing is, um, you're you're right. There are a handful of her movies that uh, that I have seen, but I don't remember. It's like I don't remember her in the office truth, and it's, I it, and that is a shame. I'll, I'll I'll probably now look for her as I go back. But um, it, it's it's kind of bizarre that a, that a person who made eighty movies during a period of time where I you know I, I dig into those to those decades as heavily as I can you know not not you don't have access to everything folks I, there's only so many hours in the day but it just one of those things where it's like somebody who's in eighty movies I should have run across and remember to a degree I would think but no there's just too many. Too many films, too many actors, and it's a shame. And that, and that's the sad truth. I mean, that's you know, you, we, we that's that's the that's the good part and bad part about being a bit player. The good part is you get a lot of roles and get in a lot of different films. The bad part is is you don't always get a chance to make that impression with the audience because you're in these smaller roles, and uh, and that's why it's amazing yeah. when you have these people to do those bit parts and you see their career progress. But the the point is they're progressing because. Um, directors from other movies will see them. It's like, oh, I can use this person for this one. I could expand their role, and then that's how they they get those expanded roles and expanded roles. The next thing you know, you got another star in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I mean, and that's the thing is, you, you, you she's a good example, though. I mean, you you, you look at this at this actress, and you realize, okay, well, she was uh, her first jobs in show business were in the chorus line, uh, and then she was a singer. She appeared in operas. She worked at, uh, as a vaudeville comedian. She was uh, she was specially selected for the title role of a stage production of The Pink Lady, which you know ran you know ran for hundreds of hundreds of uh, performances. So you look at this and you go, this is a person with a lot of raw talent and skill, and it's just we're getting just the briefest glimpses of it in cinema, and uh, you know that's that's just that's all we get. And this might be, I mean, without having seen a lot of her work that I can remember, this might be one of the roles that she had the most uh, meat 
to, to put out on the screen. And that's why we're able to, you know, realize her and stuff like that. Cause she had the mo- more screen time than she, she might have in the other films. I don't know. I'd have to like watch a bunch of them just to get an idea to get an, a comparison, but she's in a lot of scenes. She has a lot of dialogue, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, for a supporting player. And this could be, this could be the, the, the high point, you know, for her or one of the high points. Don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'd love to find out though. <laughs> Well, I think we will. I think you and I are both both love watching movies. And that's the beauty of it all. It's like it's like okay, now now we got another thing to watch, and it's like oh, look look for like you know pick out some different things that she was like noted for, and and watch them, and then you can get a good idea, a good litmus test, so to speak. Now, but this next actor, I think we're going to use this one, and then after this, we're going to transit use him as a transitional point to do direct comparisons between the two movies. Because with this actor, okay. there's no way in the world we can avoid not comparing everything directly. So, listeners, we're going into high spoiler alert. <laughs> Ralph Morgan. <laughs> yes. Who's the who brother? Plays of, the professor character. The professor character and the brother of Frank Morgan, who played the lead in The Kiss Before the Mirror. <laughs> so, I think it's you know weird. why I'm using this guy to transition to, from to, to, to totally talking about both, because there's just no way you can avoid it. <laughs> No, it's it's uh, there's there's also no way that James Wan didn't know kind of that, what he was doing here. Yeah, I've seen reviews of this movie, Wives Under Suspicion, where people actually have mistakenly labeled Ralph Morgan as Frank Morgan. They actually would say, "Oh, Frank Morgan comes back playing instead of the defense attorney to defend it," and I'm like, "It's his brother." No, and, but they look a lot alike. I mean, I could see where people can do it because they they def- Ralph is older. But you can, uh-huh. but you look at them. And if you do a quick look, they look the same. You know, uh, as brothers have a tendency to do. <laughs> oh yeah, then yeah, they're they're very similar, but totally different actors. And I, I, and Ralph Morgan, a lot of his work is audio um, because because he's on the record, so you get to hear him as, as the DA is listening to the record again. You get to hear his vocal parts, but his uh-huh. his see him when he comes into the DA's office as a broken man and you see him as a broken man at the trial. I mean, he's, he's able to play it really well. He's able to do that supporting role and show it well, but it's, it's a lot different than the defendant in the kiss before the mirror, the one who um, killed his wife. And now one, that one was given a lot more screen time here. The, the, the character that he's playing this. Yeah, you're right. He's off screen a lot of, I mean, for, for most of the movie. I mean, he has, if you want to be blunt, he has one big scene. And it's, you know, it's that scene, that, it's the scene of the confession, the scene where he's that broken man. And most, of, and most of the rest of the film, his character is discussed, you know, off camera. He's being discussed by other characters while he is off camera. But he does make, an, he does make a really good impression. Uh, and he kind of has to. I mean, he's the he's the he's the center around what the you know what the story is supposed to revolve. Which is once again, why I was so surprised how how far the story backed up at the beginning to take a running shot at what it was going to do. <clears throat> because uh, when a movie's only an hour and nine minutes long, uh, you usually don't. Uh, you usually kind of try to get things rolling as quickly as possible. But they really took their time getting to this scene, and then. Everything accelerates from there. Now, but think, yeah, he's just to, oh, t- t- just to tie in with that. I think if I remember right, you you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was this. He comes in around the thirty minute mark. 
almost. I, I did. I didn't make a specific note about what, how many, how far we were in the movie, but they they spend a lot of time setting everything up. So forty percent of the movie is set up of the, the relationship, and then the last sixty percent of the movie is basically with the the kiss, the, like a shortened version of the kiss before the mirror. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of that. It, it's, it's clear that they were trying really hard to spend a, a big chunk of the running time to soften the 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 character of you know the, the the main character to try to soften him up as a person so that you felt more sympathy for him when his when he makes his change when he that he, when he makes a decision that uh, has him do away with his his death head abacus shall we say but the uh, the um, fact that the, they they shift the focus that's that's clearly a, a haze code you know a haze code necessary movement the possibility of using well you know once again in the original film in the original way the story was told uh and uh, from what i understand even even in the original stage play that this you know both of these films are adaptations of this uh, of a stage play the focus, the, the main character is a defense attorney. He's defending someone who has done this. And he, while defending it, while defending his client, whether he believes his story uh, or not about, you know, the extenuating circumstances under which his client murdered his wife, uh, he begins to believe him more and more because he starts to have the same kinds of suspicions about his own life. Well, in this version of the story, we have the man who's on the flip side of the law, who's prosecuting in the point of this movie. Remember, folks, we're into spoilers here. The point of this story is that this man who we, they, they work really hard to make us sympathetic toward, has his change of heart and changes how he approaches the prosecution of a man who murdered his wife. It is, I, I it's an interesting choice to make in how you tell the story, but it does completely alter the uh, the way in which you address the crime at the center of it. In other words, we ask what is asked of the audience in the original film is that we see ourselves in that mirror. We see ourselves in the mirror of someone who could be pushed in a moment of extreme emotional distress to do something heinous, horrible, that you would regret for the rest of your life. And in the original film, you're not being asked to forgive that person. You're being asked to understand that person. This movie starts out spending the first chunk of its running time making you sympathetic to the main character who has to have this turn. We're never being put in the position of someone uh, of of uh, kind of making that switch on our own. The movie is making us; it's kind of forcing the issue. It's forcing the issue by making the main character sympathetic, uh, and you, you already feel sorry for this poor guy because he is so dedicated to his job. He's such uh, he's such, so respected and such a good man that we are. We're predisposed. The story, you know, kind of stacks the deck in that respect. And so, as you would expect, when you compare a pre-code movie to a post-code movie, 
it's painted in in a much more of a black and white way. Um, I, I I don't know if I, I I'm not. I, we'll wait a while before I ask the, the big question, which is which of these two films do you prefer? Which version of the story do you prefer? But like I say, I almost feel I would give this movie more deference if I had seen it before I saw the earlier movie. Yeah, and I, but I think we're seeing it the way people would have saw it in the films, the movies, you know, except there would have been a five-year gap instead of us having a, a several-month gap um, yeah. with it. And um, so there would be – and, of course, nobody had DVDs back then. There was no TV airplay. There was no TVs. So there was you – know, nobody <laughs> there, Nobody would have saw this movie unless it ran again, you know, and, and you know, in a re-release. And because of the Hayes Code, that made it impossible. So – that this was one of those things that people coming in and seeing it, they would have to have really good memories uh, of it. So, so back then it, it might've gotten by a lot easier um, with people not putting two and two together, you know, like oh, this is, you know, they didn't realize, Oh, this is similar, but it's like, there's a lot of movies that you could see that you could say, Oh, this was similar to that. So they might not have put it totally together. Some people would, but the, I think the majority of the viewing population would not have. And yeah, but but Ralph Morgan he does an excellent job of setting it up and 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 going through it and I just find it interesting that um this movie takes place it actually one of your critiques of the kiss before the mirror if I remember correctly was that it does not establish the relationship between the the two main characters, it goes like, it didn't show anything about their backstory or their, what a normal day would be like in their house. And you and I talked about how yeah. they could have rectified that by showing one day, you know, and going through like maybe spending five or six minutes. And I think, see, see, somehow James whale knew you were going to say those things. <laughs> well, I mean, decades before you were story, alive. <laughs> well, it's not just that. I mean, I think that it, it, it's, it has to have been a kind of common thought about, adapting the story is, you know, whether or not you want the character, you know, whether or not you want the, the character to be sympathetic or not. And it's like, how do you, how do you make a character sympathetic? You spend time with them, you know? And so in the original, in the original uh, film, that wasn't important to him. You know, that's not important to the story he's trying to tell because he doesn't necessarily want you sympathetic to him until he's put through the ringer, you know, until he's slapped upside the head. Well, you know, once again, people spoilers, in the kiss before the mirror, his wife is being unfaithful, you know, and that's when you are, that's when the, the kiss before the mirror makes you, or that's when it starts to generate any sympathy for the character at all, because up till then it's kind of been either neutral or maybe a color, you know, maybe colored a little toward the dark because he's willing to shade the truth a bit or, you know, to protect his client. And once he's put in the position of, being, uh, be, being a, a, a cuckolded husband, that's when the that's when sympathy begins to generate for him. And the fact that that movie doesn't take time to, uh, to to present us with his home life a little more clearly, so that we have a, a an indication of how you know why he might expect that his that his married life is just fine. You know everything is fine in this movie. We're wanting to establish that he has a really forgiving wife. His wife is really understanding about the importance of his work 
and about how it is uh, imperative that her husband do this work because this is the, the you know this is the kind of thing that very you know very few people are called upon to do and that it has to be done well and it has you know we're we're talking about you know protect, protecting the public and getting murderers off the street and things of this nature but the desire to soften this or I should say the need to soften this uh, means that the the thing that I wanted I, I wanted like one scene in the in the first film <laughs> to kind of give us a sense of these two of the husband and wife character and the way they uh, the way they react and act to each other it was like, like having them eat breakfast together or something you know anything at all uh, exchange pleasantries in a way you know over over toast in uh, this it's like oh no you're gonna get like five minutes of that maybe six or seven minutes of that and you know and it, we're it's it's a it's the push and pull between the two uh, extremes that uh, makes it so that the, the no, none of the characters in this film, and if you, if you think differently, let me know, there are no bad people in this movie. There are no bad people. There are no people doing, there are no people who are even good who accidentally or uh, mistakenly do bad things, except for the character who has murdered his wife. That's it. And once we get that piece of information from him, once we get the, 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 the engine of the story uh, from him, he's gone. He's out of the story. He's gone. He's off stage because we're going to concentrate on all these good people. And uh, the, 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 uh, the almost comical, it, it doesn't become comical, but the, the, the things that could almost be turned into a comical misunderstanding in the hands of another scriptwriter. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the kiss before the mirror, um, we find out that, that she had been cheating on her husband prior to the movie, through the whole movie, you know, until the uh -huh. end, until the re resolution of the movie, so to speak. And so, for various reasons, I mean, you could say you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of more um, darker areas, you know, more gray. Yes. And in this one, there's there's really only one character that is dark or gray and, and, he, and he did the murder. But then you have so many other times where you have um, like Phil who worked with the professor in the college and said, saying, Oh, everybody loves him. And he's such a great guy, you know? And, and it's, so you have all these people like trying to redeem him and say, like, Oh, he's, it was, you know, he's a broken man, yeah. you know? And even then, even the, the, the Ralph Morgan, the professor's defense attorney, he's not asking for him to be like let off. He's just saying, can can you understand what he's doing and go and we'll take a plea of manslaughter, you know? And, yeah. Can um, you please not, yeah. Can you please not send him to the chair? We know he needs to pay for his crime, but it, this is, this is, you know, this is not a premeditated murder. This is not someone who needs to go to the chair. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's, it's, to, it's two different things where in the other movie, if I remember correctly, it wasn't like they're trying to go from a death penalty. To, they're just trying to get him off completely. It's like, Oh, he's going to be completely yeah. innocent. I'm going to pull this off. This is going to be great. You know, I got this whole thing. And, um, yeah, and that's our main character in that previous film, in the earlier film. The main yeah. character is a guy who's willing to go out of his way to shade the truth alive to protect his client, who was yeah. a murderer. Yeah. And of course, for listeners who don't know, that, that movie took place in Vienna. <laughs> so it's another country. Yes, yes. Which, which I love <laughs> the time with this one when we have, um, what was it, some psychiatrists that are coming from Vienna to testify for the professor's behalf, which it's it's labeled and it's, it's, a, it's a ping of dialogue. You never see it. But I like the little tie-in yeah. with Vienna. And I was like, oh, that, that that's cute. They, they kept it in. They, 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 they did a little fruit line. 
James Whale made sure there were some touches put in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and a film devoid of most of the visual touches that Whale usually brought to films. Yeah, yeah. At least at least you can maybe point to that as one, yeah. And, and that's the other thing. Comparing these two cinematography-wise is, is like night and day. Um, uh, you can tell this is a lower-budget film and with yes, a, with yes. a and I, I don't want to say the lesser cinematographer because it could be the shooting schedule was boom, boom, boom. Let's get this thing done. And, and, and neither whale or the cinematographer, George Robinson had a chance to do the shots that whale would normally want to do. Um, well, I got to tell you, man, this movie feels this movie lives under suspicion. I, it feels like a B movie to me. Uh, oh, this feels yeah. more in keeping with this. Yeah. This feels more in keeping with, don't get me wrong, I love them, but this feels more in keeping with, uh, you know, the series films like The Crime Doctor or The Lone Wolf or, you know, the Boston Blackie movies, as far as its production uh, is concerned, than it does, uh, you know, like a full-blooded, you know, I wouldn't say high-budget, but it just feels like a B-movie as opposed to Kiss the Lord Mirror, which really felt like a movie where they had the time and schedule to craft you know to craft a beautiful film oh we're in concurrence with that and and so if for listeners wondering and one uh, they, they give a little they give a little bit of thing when you watch the the public domain thing it's not a restored restored print you know so that so the what were the transfer that we're seeing it, it's it's good i mean it's it, I, i've seen a lot worse transfers um especially yeah, in the yeah. james well retrospective series i think of journey's end and it's just the only thing i could see is that transfer it's just it's sad um and it, but, but then you see this restored version the kiss before the mirror so it's not only yeah, yeah it's, it's not only it's gorgeous it's gorgeous it's shot but so it, it's kind of hard to put them on the you know, but taking that into account the shot selection everything else so it, even though, even if you're looking at different restored versions, the shot selection is still the same regardless. And you can see, like like you and I both said, and not to beat a dead horse, but the time and the budget was allowed there to um, do these great setup shots and 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 then have these great mo- movement of the camera and things like that. So it, so yes, if if you're an average person watching this movie, and as you said earlier, very very early in the episode. You would have problems not figure out this is a James Whale movie without seeing that James Whale's name's listed with it. Yeah, it it does not it does not feel this does not feel like a movie by the guy who made uh, the first two Frank you know the first two Universal Frankenstein movies or Showboat or anything like it doesn't feel like uh, the kind of movie made by somebody who really thought through the visuals of the storytelling elements of what he was doing. It's um. Uh, it feels rushed to a degree. And I think that it may have been. I think so too. And that's why I'm trying to get, you know, give listeners an idea that, you know, when, when a filmmaker has the time and the budget, they're able to do a lot better, a lot more different and interesting things than this film is definitely a B movie. You know, it's definitely lower budget and the time of a B movie that they have to say, okay, you got, I don't, I don't know whether it was two weeks, a week. I don't have no idea what the, the production schedule was, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet big good money that it was significantly less than the amount of budget and time that they had for um, the kiss before the mirror. True. Very true. Um, I will say that um, this is, this, this is not that there aren't other good examples, but this is a really good example to, to use 
when uh, talking about um, pre-code movies. This would be an excellent example to demonstrate to people the differences between pre-code and making movies under the Hayes, the Hayes office. This is, this is how you had to do things. <laughs> this is, these, are, these are how movies got made uh, once the hammer came down. The changes that are viewable between these two films based on the same play are a great way to show someone who, you know, is just curious what the differences could be. Oh yeah. And especially because it's, 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 it, it's not exactly the same movie, but it's, it has a lot of the points of the same movie. And that, and that, and I have to give whale credit because he could have just did things exactly the same. He took the main points of the kiss before the mirror, but then repackaged it, you know, changed the characters around. I thought it was interesting having the, the, the um, district attorney instead of, of the defense attorney. Um, taking over because it's like a different point of view and you, I mean and, and yes it is telegraphed way off the in dialogue and everything that his journey is parallel in the other one I mean literally when he's talking yeah when he's he's crossing the um, um, professor on the stand he's saying things that it, that, are, that are applicable directly to him <laughs> yep and it, it's so I mean if it, I mean you can't help but notice it. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost overplayed, but again, in a B movie, that's typically the way things were, where in a, um, an A movie, they might not overplay it as much and they might get it more, more subtlety that are in there. So, but it, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's an enjoyable movie and I'm glad I saw well, it. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up the, the, that the, the one, there are there are two things in this movie that I that I see as negatives. Uh, the first is, of course, the the cringe the cringeworthy uh, racial stereotyping in that one line. But also, I got to tell you, I didn't count them, but the number of times that Warren Williams says "the kiss before the mirror" actually says that entire phrase. Uh, by the I think the fourth time, I was ready to step into the movie and go, "Okay, we're done now." With Right, we're going to stop saying the phrase. Right, we're going to we're going to not do that. Correct. Well, because it it, it, it was like I, I I wondered at that point if they had thought they were going to uh, call this movie a kiss the kiss before the mirror as well. You can also count the amount of times the professor because they keep replaying his his re- recorded audio. He's the one who says it first. It was the kiss before but, the mirror. But at least if it would have yeah, been just the professor. If it had been just yeah. a professor, I would have been. But you're right. Once, once the district attorney starts saying it, oh, the kiss before the mirror. And if he would have said it just that one time, Please. maybe a second time, I would have been okay with it. But yeah, a, a second time would have been fun. Yeah. But the and you're right. When we're when we're when we're listening back to the to the recording of the uh, of the professor character, that's perfectly acceptable because that's. You know that's an that's giving you the impression that's giving you the idea the impression that the uh, the that phrase is kind of being pushed into the district attorney's head. He's he's as he becomes obsessed with that phrase, it's because he's listening back to that over and over again. That's you know that's perfectly cool. But yeah, the fact that the district attorney says it more than more than four or five times. Okay, please don't say it again. Please please don't say it again. Yeah, so I think the script could have been um, 
had another pass through and, and, and been cleaned up a little bit to make it not as reference oriented in that part. I mean, there's, there's other ways you could get the same point across without saying the exact same words. Now at a, at a, at a kind of larger level, I had, a, I had a question about this. When I saw the running time, on this, I did wonder, wow, did they, did they turn this, t- did they trim this down? In other words, it's supposed to be longer, but they turned it down. And then I realized that the kiss before the mirror and this movie run exactly the same amount of time. They're both 69 minutes long. And yet, this film feels like it is, and you know, there are various reasons, but this film feels like it's lighter. I did not, I wondered if, we, if, if while watching the movie, I would get the sense that there were things that were being, that were, that were filmed but cut out, you know, to kind of shorten it. But I don't get that sense. But it's weird to think that I thought that when it runs exactly the same number of minutes as the movie that it is remaking. It's just weird. And, and I actually had the opposite take. I felt the movie felt a little longer, and I think it's because it was doing so much time with setup. Yes. And that's, and that's why I started to pay attention to somewhat what, like, where, where, where are we at in the, the running time? <laughs> you know, because I was like. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like, we haven't even gotten to the murder yet. What's going on? Yeah, the, yeah. And this is an hour and nine minutes, right? And I'm hitting, as I hit, you know, I'm hitting, I'm like, yeah, it's a, yeah okay. It's, a, it's like, it's like 20 some odd minutes in and uh, maybe we still haven't had the main crux. So for me, it felt, I think they could have sped up the beginning. It's like they took what you and I talked about as a criticism. It's like when we needed to establish their relationship more and they spent a lot more time doing the setup. And I yeah. think that yeah. could have been taken out by 10 minutes. And then we could have had some more time spent, in some areas that I think that could have been fleshed out some more in, in the, um, in the court proceeding or, or more of their relationship afterwards. Uh, Cause it just, it just seemed to move. Once, once that happens, it just moves like real fast. Like, boom. It's, it's gone, you know, through, I would have, I would have been interested to see a little more of the courtroom scene because they'd established a defense attorney, yeah. but they don't really, you know, he's, he's a very small character in this. Um, yeah, and that's a, and that's a shame because the courtroom scenes in the previous film and the earlier film are really juicy, really yes, good. Yes. Uh, but this movie, this movie almost ha- almost has nothing there. And it's it's one of those things where you're like, we don't we don't get to the courtroom until the very end of the movie, and um, it, it it's it, it's kind of a shame. That was one of the strengths of the earlier film, but you know, not in this one. Yeah, and they, they show of headlines how months have gone by. You know, it's like, oh, they're going to do this, mm-hmm. they're going to do that, and it's just, uh, I would have liked to seen a little more of that going, a little more where he's becoming unhinged. Because yeah, it, well, we, it, it, kind of, just, it happens, they, it happens pretty fast with it, the way he's doing it. Like he starts to notice things, but uh-huh. it happens really quick where he goes over the deep end. You know, it's a little quicker than I was expecting. And, you know, credit where credit's due. It's well played by Warren Williams. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that we go, he escalates from, I won't say he escalates from zero to 60, but he does escalate from about 20 to 60. You know, it's, 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 he's had absolutely, in this film, he has no real reason to suspect his wife at all. And of course, the movie lets us in on the fact that he really doesn't have any good reason at all 
to suspect his wife. And then, of course, once again, people spoilers. In this movie, his wife has done nothing wrong. And the fact that he leapt to that, it, 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 does, it feels like more time should have been spent making the, making the Warren Williams character, the district attorney character, begin to ha- have doubts about his wife because of his obsession with him listening over and over again to the confession of the professor. In other words, play that up in a way that makes it feel as if it's kind of infecting. It's infecting the way he thinks about his wife. But we don't have kind of bridging scene between him listening repeatedly to that confession and his discovery of what he thinks is proof of his wife's infidelity. We don't get that. And it's, it's um, you know, of course, we're, we're, we're criticizing this movie nearly 100 years after it was made. Let's, let's be blunt. I mean, what, was this, what is this movie? 80, good Lord, came out of what? 1938. Yeah, 1938. So, so you know, so we're 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 picking nits at a distance that is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but at the same time, these are the these are the little things. This, these are the things where, since this movie is going to put our main character in the position of having been completely wrong in his suspicions, um, the getting you know giving us a little bit more and giving us a little bit more insight into, you know, in other words, an, another, another little piece of information, another little, even if it's just a visual thing where we see him um, have some reason to make that leap to suspect his wife to the point where he would follow her around. In other words, that he would go to her, you know, her female friend's house to kind of check up on her and find out, well, that she's not there yet. You know, she's not there yet. And then go to the place that he suspects she might be. In other words, if we just had a little, just a little bit more, and like I say, these are these are nitpicking considerations about a film that you know, come on, boy, you want to talk about being able to being able to, to critique from the, from the passenger seat? That is definitely what I'm doing here. But well, I agree with you, and, and here's the thing: I think they could, it, it could have fixed it where he's listening to the record, and he's sitting on the couch, let's say, or whatever. And he's daydreaming, and then you know, like a lot of movies used to do this, and and they, and they, they go to what he's daydreaming about. And, oh, or just, or and, just, and uh, that way you can see replay, how it's replay his mind. things we've seen. It, yeah, if we if he just thought if he was just thinking about things that had happened that we've seen earlier in the movies, spend so much time setting up the relationship between uh, him and his, him and his wife and the, their 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 two friends. If we just if we just if he just played those back in his mind, but the way they're framed now, he's now they cause him suspicion as opposed to them being completely you know completely innocent earlier. That would be an interesting thing. Oh, exactly. It, but I mean, and again, look, you know, it's not going to take away anybody's enjoyment from watching. We're just oh, no. we're just talking about things that we could that could have maybe been done to improve it here or there in our minds, you know, and, and then yeah, and, and, and I know I'm, a, I know I'm being a backseat driver, here, you know, decades after the fact. So I'm, I'm well aware of the, the ridiculousness of what I'm doing, but you know, still, uh, I, these are the things that occur when you start thinking about these stories. Well, and I, and I think that's the, any movie we've seen in our lives. How many times, like you go to a movie theater, you see a current movie out there right now, you're driving back home with your, you know, in your case, Beth, or I'm driving back home with my wife, Karen, or um, one of the kids, you, you discuss the movie that you just saw. And then sometimes mm-hmm. you get to a thing yeah. like, and you get to a part that's like, well, this part didn't work. Well, what could they have done 
to us. You know, it might not, it could work for somebody else. You're like, well, what could they have done to have made it better? And it's just normal. You know, I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm not, and then I don't take away anything from what the director did. I'm just thinking like, oh, oh, if I was to, you know, for me, if this would have been there, that little bit part here or there, that would have made it more coherent and, um, and had a more of an ebb and a flow. And that's, and that's what we're doing, right. you know? So it's not whether the movie is a hundred years old, 80 years old, or two days old. <laughs> it's just something okay, that, well, that now, fans now of we, movies now we get do. To the question. Yeah. Now we get to the question, uh, which version do you prefer the first or the second? That's I was, I've been pondering that ever since I saw the movie. And, um, I think visually and acting wise, I prefer to kiss before the mirror. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah. Story wise, you know, in some of the aspects of the story, I prefer wives under suspicion a little bit, but if, if, if only it had the, um, the budget and the chance to breathe, you know, if, if another hmm. fine tune over the script to get rid of some of these little problems, I think the story where it develops the characters a little more. So I, I prefer hybrid, but if I had to pick, between one and the other, I, I, the kiss before the mirror is just so visually stunning and so well done. It, it's, it, it, it's hard to compare it to wives under suspicion, but I can see where people would like wives under suspicion better than the kiss before the mirror. I mean, it just depends on which way you're looking. I, but Frank Morgan does such an awesome job in the kiss before the mirror. I mean, it was like for me watching him, it was a revelation seeing because I, I, I always knew him as the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, from the Wizard. Exactly. And to watch him in that was just, it just, it's still blowing my mind with, with how he just owned that film. And I'm just like, my God, this guy can really bring it, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and then you, with the cinema, like I said, just the, the way they did the camera, the opening scene um, with the, with the, um, the wife being killed. Um, and that kind of stuff. There's just so oh, that, much. yeah, that whole segment's amazing. Yes, yeah. yeah, so so I'd have to say that, that is the superior film, but I enjoyed both. I mean, I, I'd I'd recommend you watch both, you know, and that kind of thing. You can watch them in either order, um, that kind of thing. You know, I don't. I, I think they stand up well, especially if you have some distance. Like if you watch The Kiss Before, let's say you watch um, Wives Under Suspicion because it's available right now, public domain. You go and watch it. You're like, oh, I enjoyed that one. And then let's say for Christmas, you got as a Christmas gift to kiss before the mirror. Then you have some distance between the two and you watch that one and you're like, Oh, I can see what those guys are talking about. You know? So I think think it works well. I I would not recommend, I guess you could do it back to back, like as a double feature, but it's, it's, I think it works better if you give it a little little breathing room. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend, I wouldn't recommend back to back. I also prefer the earlier film. I think the kiss before the mirror is a superior movie in a lot of ways. But I have to admit, um, Wives Under Suspicion, um, I, I really, I'm such a fan of Warren Williams um, that I really enjoy him. He, uh, he's so good. He's, he's one of those actors that I'm drawn to repeatedly because he, he's never let me down. He's one of those guys who I've, not, I've never seen turn in even a, a scene in a, in a, in a movie where I didn't believe him, where he wasn't incredibly good at what he's doing. And so uh, as much as I, uh, I do prefer the earlier film uh, for various reasons. One, uh, I, I think shifting from uh, the defense attorney to the, to the DA weakens 
weakens what the story is attempting to do. Uh, but the uh, I do love Warren Williams a lot. Uh, is he is you know is he better than than uh, Frank Morgan? No, no, he's not better than Frank Morgan. Uh, but he's he's an actor I love watching. Kiss uh, for the mirror. Kiss before the mirror is, in my opinion, a classic. And Wives Under Suspicion is a pretty darn interesting B picture. And uh, so that's. I like them both, but uh, if I'm if you've only got time for one, I'm going to push you toward the Kiss Before the Mirror. Yeah. Oh, definitely. If if you can get the Kiss Before the Mirror Blu-ray, get it. It's 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 well worth it. It's 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 a great movie. Definitely, if you're a James Whale fan, you're going to love that movie yes. because it's totally different than like this whole retrospective. I think has been bringing that from everybody. That only fault of him is Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and the Invisible Man, and some would mm-hmm. remember the old Dark House. But I mean, really, it's the, the first three are like his calling cards to where to, where the average person would know. If you say Frankenstein, they know Frankenstein and the Invisible Man. Everybody knows the Bride. I mean, if, the average person knows those names, those films, yep. whether they've seen them or not. They that's how that's how much it's into the public um, consciousness. Uh, but the kiss before the mirror and and several of his films like Showboat and some other ones, the Great Garrick, show different aspects of the filmmaker, and I think they're definitely worth seeking out. And the kiss before the mirror definitely feels like a film made by the same director, uh, who's just doing different, just doing a different kind of story. Oh, it, it definitely, and also the humor is better, I think, in that one. Um, and yes. Yes, it's it's edgier because of course they could be a little edgier pre COVID. Yeah, and and the supporting characters I think are better. I mean, it's just it's it's overall. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, you, know, you got Paul Lucas and Walter. Budget. Yeah, yeah, you got Gloria Stewart, Paul Lucas, Walter Pigeon in the earlier film, and Gene Dixon, who's fantastic. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly, and and, and you know, but so I'm, I'm, we're not trying to belittle Wives Under Suspicion. We're just saying that it's. It's a good film to watch. I mean, hey, you can put it on any time. You know, you, you, you have a rainy rainy Saturday or rainy Sunday afternoon. What, what, it's what, sitting what's on YouTube, folks. It's right yeah, there. It's, it's right there. <laughs> you know, an hour and eight minutes. Well, there'll be those little commercial breaks on YouTube. But, you know, like an hour and eight minutes later, an hour and nine minutes later, you're, you'll you'll be done. You'll be like, oh, that was, you know, it's an enjoyable Sunday afternoon watch. Just like the, just like we used to do in the old days when you used to have the, the the movie on the Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, you could watch a different one. Mm-hmm. Now, Rod, I want to thank you for joining me to talk about Wives Under Suspicion, but oh yeah, people want to seek you out. They if this, if this is their first time oh. hearing you. They didn't hear you on the other episodes. <laughs> you have you have your. I don't know how you are in so many different podcasts. I, I think, I think, uh, I think you just don't sleep. <laughs> um, essentially, uh, too many years of thinking about movies in general. Uh, once you, op- once you pop open the valve, it just never stops. As far as I can tell. So that's probably part of it. It's just, uh, uh, too, too many years of bottling up all this, uh, all these, uh, opinions and thoughts about this stuff. So, uh, once, once somebody gives me an outlet, I just, of course, I've given myself a couple of outlooks, so that's how that works. So we know we brought up you're on the bloody pit, and um, oh yeah, yeah. And if you're going to tell listeners what else, what else can they find you at 
you know, besides popping oh. up in different people's um, shows like mine. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, so I, I, basically we're still doing the Nashi cast, the, the, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashi, but we only do a few episodes a year when we find something special that we can, uh, that we can, uh, someone interesting we can interview or someone that uh, or a film that we've not otherwise been able to get our hands on before with an, in an English friendly version. Uh, be aware that later this year, a, a, a an English friendly version of a very early Paul Nashy film that's fallen into our laps. And we'll be talking about that eventually. But uh, so we've still got that going on. The bloody pit is the, the podcast where we, you know, we don't just cover, you know, bloody movies. We, Cover Universal for you know forties Universal for horror films and nineteen uh, seventies science fiction movies and just whatever in the world else pops up into being something interesting that we'd like to talk about. And listeners, with, uh, you know, just to let you know, they they've been covering tons and tons recently of Sherlock Holmes. So if you like, oh yeah, well we've got another one coming up later this summer. Yeah. But other than, oh, and other than that, I should point out that I am uh, I am the co-host of a podcast that I don't have to edit myself, which I love, uh, called Wild Wild Podcast, which is uh, my buddy Adrian Smith's brainchild, where uh, he and I go through uh, a lot of uh, European, mostly Italian cinema. Actually, uh, we're in the middle of the third season on that on that podcast, where we're talking about uh, uh, Italian crime films from the seventies. And um, I forget. I think we've got like four or five episodes of that season out already, and we're about to uh, we're about to uh, make another one of those. So there, I guess, essentially on a regular basis, I'm doing three podcasts, and then I occasionally pop up on uh, other people's shows, like uh, like this. Uh, oh, but also I should I should point out that occasionally you can hear me on uh, a silvered disc. Occasionally uh, we we pop up as uh, commentators doing commentary tracks for various and sundry movies. Uh, most recently, uh, the Synapse Blu-ray of the amazing Tombs of the Blind Dead has come out, and we are one of three commentary tracks on that Blu-ray. Uh, I would love to tell you that it looks fantastic. I'm sure it does. It's Synapse, and they're not going to sign off anything that doesn't look fantabulous. But uh, I haven't gotten my copy yet, so I can't tell you how wonderful it was. But the... Uh, uh, we do, uh, we have been doing, uh, commentary tracks. I've done some commentary tracks with, with a few other people on some various and sundry other films, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do guess on other shows, but, uh, I can't think of anything new that's coming down the pike other than this little podcast where I talk about a James Wells film that you may have heard. Yeah. And, and you've also, listeners wondering, besides the other two James Whale films that Rod's been with us, he also had a, a guest a supporting role in our it's a mad 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 world episode with a bunch of other True, people yeah. and uh, uh <laughs> yeah that was a, that was a huge cast <laughs> exactly the way it should be for all of that time yeah i think it was it, it's like a three-hour long episode but it, it covers a lot of different topics it's it's it, it's i think it's very informative and very go it goes over it's a it gives it's a mad 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 world it's justice so it's uh uh, it's it's definitely out there, and it's it's it goes it goes deep, and and we have different people to come in to talk about different parts of expertise, and then there's an overlying group of us that are talking about the whole movie, and it's all as we interject, um, like Rod and a whole bunch of other people. I mean, there was like eleven guests, you know, guest host, supporting hosts or whatever in that episode, so it's kind of fun. 
But um, yeah. But Ron, I want to thank you again for joining us and for listeners. Um, this is unless, unless for some reason some other movies from James Will becomes readily available. Not when I mean readily available, I mean where everybody can watch it. I know some of these cop movies are available on the um, uh, dark market, so to speak. <laughs> You know, yes. uh, the bootleg type thing, but I try to avoid doing those when I can because I want you know people to be able to, well, they hear this, be able to go out and get it. And so, one of those movies, if they do start to become available, then we might come back to the James Earl retrospective down the road and um, cover those as they come out. And because uh, I'll be curious to see them myself, and I'm sure whoever I have guesting with me would like to talk about it too. And it could be Rod, it could be anybody, who knows. But for now. The James O. Retrospective series is going to end, and I think it's ending on a good note. Oh, I think so. I think so as well. But then I, I would think that, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, listeners. And thanks again, Rod. And uh, glad to be here. And uh, I, want to, I just want to say thank you for uh, doing this James Whale Retrospective. It's a, it was a good idea. Oh, thank you. The next retrospective that we're going to be tackling is going to be Sam Peckinpah. That is a great filmmaker. And listeners, Rod's already committed to come back to talk about Cross of Iron on that one. So, and there'll be a bunch mm. of other people too. So we're going to talk about most of the Sam Peckinpah filmography. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I've, I've seen a few Sam Peckinpah movies, but like James Whale, I haven't seen most of them. So this is going to be, a lot of time, a lot of first time viewing for me, and um, hopefully we'll have some great discussion and get some people to realize, hey, I'm going to want to check this out. You've got you've got some good viewing in front of you. There's a few clunkers, don't get me wrong, but you got some good viewing in front. Well, not everybody, not everybody can home run every single time. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Hello, everybody. Again, I want to thank Rod Burnett from the Bloody Pit for joining me on the. Wives Under Suspicion, part of the James Whale Retrospective series. And just remember, as more of the James Whale movies become available, we'll add a movie here or there as we get a chance to cover it to the retrospective series. But for now, it's taking a indefinite pause on that part. Uh, don't worry, next episode will be another interview or a movie decided by the roll of a die. I can't wait for... What we're going to put out next, I'm currently right now at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention as this episode comes out. So I'm having a great time, I'm sure, I hope to be, meeting people that I've interviewed and hopefully getting people to let me interview them in the future. Speaking of people that I've interviewed in the past, Laura Cayouette, I'll be meeting her, or I've met her at this point, and just a reminder to everybody that she has her writing Books out, and if you go to lauracayouette.com, she has that 20% off coupon code, which is Diecast Podcast, all in uppercase, Diecast Podcast. And the coupon code is pinned posted currently on our Facebook page, so you can go right to it. It has a QR code that'll take you to it. And the, code, and the coupon says 20% off her writing products, including writing unblocked, and you can get 20% off her creating characters video course. So if you want to learn more about it, go back to the interview I did with Laura Cayouette. Otherwise, you can hear a little more about it with the promo that's going to end this episode. 
So just remember, as always, please send us feedback at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. Or maybe if I'm lucky, I'm running into some of you at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention or possibly next month's Monster Bash. All right. Otherwise, have a great day. And thanks, as always, for listening. I really do appreciate everyone that takes time to listen. So we really love you all. Hi, I'm Laura Cayouette, an actor for over 25 years, but I'm best known as Leonardo DiCaprio's sister in Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. I'm also the author of eight books, and I'd love to tell you how I went from writing one book in 20 years to five books in four years with my proven three-step prep. Do you have an idea for a book but no idea how to start? Have you started a book but no idea how to finish? Maybe you're a novelist with an idea for a series, but no experience tackling something that ambitious. The Writing Unblocked ebook can take you from an idea to a completed project, no matter your writing skill level. And my six-video immersive creating characters course will help you create a whole cast of three-dimensional characters to move your stories forward and bring your ideas to life. Find out more on my website, lauracayouette.com.